So this morning, I got a free reign. I can talk about whatever I like, which is always fun. That's what I wanted to talk about. Not Bart Simpson, who's been a naughty boy. He needs to apologise. But uh, I just thought I would talk a little bit about our need to apologise. It says in Peter, doesn't it? Always be prepared to give a defence for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give a defence for the hope that you have. That word, uh, defence, is just apology. Apologia, it's a Greek word. And it means to speak up for, to speak, to explain why. Always be prepared to say why you are carrying hope. You know, I chose that picture because for me, it's like a picture of us. You know, we're, we're called, aren't we, to live out like stars in the darkness, to shine out. Some shine more bright than others, but we're all called to, sh- to shine. And uh, in this world, there are a lot of people fearful right now. A lot of people looking a bit gloomy, a lot of people worried about what might happen down the line. But we have his love as an anchor we've just been singing about. So therefore, we have a smile that can't be overcome. You know, it, that's what Jesus, you know, that's the story of Jesus. He's the light that shines in the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome it or understand it. We are little Christs. We're little Jesuses. We're little lights. He calls us the light of the world because the world doesn't understand us. Neither can it overcome us if we follow him, live in that same way, that same spirit. Yeah? So that's what I want to call us to uh, this morning. I want us to be apologetic, to explain to people why we're different. Have you ever thought about that, just seriously? Anybody know any really lovely non-Christians? People that don't come to church with you in the morning. Oh, there's a few of you that, that do. Good. I'm glad there's a few honest people in the room. Because I do. And it often irks me when I think, you know, what's different about me? Why should they become like me? Because after all, that's my deepest desire at one level. Not that they dance like me. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. But, you know, but seriously, uh, that's, that's the thing. But, but what is it? My life ought to demand a question, oughtn't it? When people look at me, they ought to think, what makes him do that? And if they don't, then I'm no different to them and no different to the rest of the people that they're looking at. And that's kind of troubling, isn't it? Am I causing you a bit of internal angst at the moment? (laughs) I hope so, because I feel it. You know, what is it? I should be different. In order that, people might ask me things that I have to give a defence for. And that's not easy sometimes, because I know some lovely people that don't follow Jesus. Well, not on purpose in any case, even if some of the things they do are (laughs) Christ-like. When's the last time someone asked you, why did you do that? That's crazy. That doesn't make sense to me. Why did you do that? Hopefully not because you've just done something stupid. (laughs) 
one of the things I did for the first time when I was on holiday was, was co-steering. I jumped off six-metre cliffs into the sea. For me, that was crazy. I only did it because Seth was with us, and he's a, he's a water baby. He loves water, and he encouraged us. But I don't mean that kind of crazy. I mean seriously crazy. You know, and we, we, we got asked that by our families when we went, well, when I gave up my um, directorship to study theology of an IT company. I gave up my directorship, gave up that career. Uh, that was crazy. Same as when we left England to live in Nepal for a season. That was crazy. People asked us those questions then. No, but they're big things. What about little things? <laughs> When's the last time anybody asked you why you did that? I remember when I joined River Church, I was deeply, deeply impressed by a young man called Ashley Hipkin. He was only 16. And yet there was something about that young man that really moved me. He was generous. Freely generous. There was something, he was so kind. And I would watch him be totally different from all the other teenagers I'd ever, ever known. But I knew what was motivating him at that time. It was his love for Jesus. He wanted to do, to please his God. I never remember being in a room when he walked in with a bar of chocolate and he freely gave it all away to everybody in the room, you know. I was thinking, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but, you know, so that's a question. Go away. If you don't want to listen to the rest of my talk, just think about that. When's the last time someone asked you why you did something? And if they haven't, maybe think about what you could do <laughs> to follow Jesus in a way which might cause other people to ask you why you did something. I mean, it should happen naturally. That's the point. Okay. We want to stand out so that people ask us questions. And uh, I've done it again, Tim. I'll get used to it in a minute. Look at that. We've just been talking about the Queen. She stood out, didn't she? And, and people remarked on her strength of character, her constancy, so many good things about her. She stood out. And I love the fact that she stood out mainly. We know nothing very much about her, really, but we know she had a fantastic, dynamic, powerful faith in Jesus because she kept on telling us. And she, she says that... She's, what was that quote that she said? Uh, she said, Throughout my life, the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide, and in them I find hope. It is my heartfelt prayer for you so that you will continue to be sustained by the faith by your faith in times of trial and encouraged in, by hope at times of despair. Isn't that amazing? So we know that about her. And it may irk some people that that's the only book that she was prepared to endorse about her life. But that's amazing. It's a question that her life demanded an answer to. Okay. I played golf last month with a, someone I'm getting to know. A, a, a guy called Gavin who lives around the corner from me I met him just at a competition he, he called me out of the blue to see if uh, we could play and we turned up the reason I want to talk about that round of golf is not because I played particularly well <laughs> no I have, I've had a blinding game in the, my handicap went down to 14 anyway uh he uh, asked, asked me 
question. Played once before, and he found out that I was a church leader. And he asked me a couple of questions then. And I thought, that's a bit strange. He's obviously got something he wants to talk about. But anyway, this time, there was just the two of us. And he spent the whole three or four hours talking and asking questions about my faith. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Now, sometimes, get this, right? Sometimes I pray, I ask God. I don't pray. I pray continually. But, you know, I, I ask God... Give me an opportunity to share my faith. And I've had some spectacular answers for that, to that prayer on the day that I prayed it. Today, that day, I didn't pray it. And he kept on apologizing to me as we were playing golf. Because he said, you know, I hope you don't mind me asking these questions. Uh, I think he thought he might be destroying my faith. <laughs> yeah, I laughed too. So. And I said, you must be joking. You know, I could have prayed a prayer uh, to have this kind of conversation. I, this is what I live for. I love this kind of conversation, so please fire away. And so he was emboldened to ask questions. But the thing about Gavin, okay, he's just an ordinary guy. A guy of his time. He is not a bad man. He's one of those guys that I have to ask myself, how do I stand out from this guy? He's a good guy. And he, he thinks really good way, in really good ways. He has good thoughts. He has not rejected Jesus because he's evil. He hasn't rejected Jesus because he's so rotten that he can't bring himself to. He's rejected a caricature of what he thinks our God is, who he thinks our God is. He's rejected some of the things that the church has stood for and, and history has uh, revealed. And so in that sense, you know, I would agree with him. I would reject the things that he rejects, many of them. But he asked me loads of questions, and I, so I had great fun talking with him <clears throat> the first one of the first things he said to me was not that your faith is too exclusive but he said to me you know I've known many Christians in my life and I've liked them they've been good people I've also known many followers of other faiths Muslims and Sikhs and Hindus and he said I've, it's been my privilege to work around the world and I've worked with some of these people and they're good people I love them too you know where this is going, don't you? <laughs> How can you say that you're right and they're wrong? How is God going to judge them? Uh, for being born and brought up in a different way. How would you answer that? No? It's a great question. And as Christians, that really ought to bother us. It bothered me as a young man. It still bothers me as an old man. But I've, I, I like to think of it this way. And you may... F and by the way, please feel free to totally disagree with everything that I say. That's okay. I'm, I'm just trying to help you understand how I live with these things. Because it gives me joy. So, I said to him... I don't think God does judge them the way that you think. I think that God judges all people according to the light that they have. That's what the Bible teaches me. Though for those living in darkness, they have an easy judgment. Those who claim they know have a tougher judgment. Yeah, this is our God. I really fundamentally believe 
that we need to preach a more inclusive message. Most people are not evil. Most people are not to be condemned just because they're born in the wrong place at the wrong time. God will judge them according to the light that they've been shown. So uh, I was able to you know, say to him, I don't believe people are fundamentally born evil. And I, those that live in love live in God. That's what the Bible says. So, you know, we could have a long... I'm not going to go into a long conversation. We can have a long conversation about all of these questions. And if you want to, you can play a round of golf with me and we can do that. <laughs> that would be a great ministry. I'd love that ministry. <laughs> Just to play golf with people that were asking serious questions about faith, about life. Puts you off your golf a bit, but you know. The thing is, you see... They're, people that don't believe are looking for answers often. If only we lived in a way which demonstrated those answers, they might be drawn, to, drawn towards it. Remember I said that Rodney Gypsy Smith said there are five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and you. The trouble is most people don't read the first four. They're looking at us to see if, the, if it's worth looking at Jesus. Fortunately, I found a few people that caused me to ask the question and, and to search for Jesus, my brother being one of them. So, okay. I also once had a conversation with a guy in Jerusalem, the imam of this mosque, which is why the picture's up there. Uh, and we were having coffee in one of these <coughs> typically Arabian coffee shops, you know, with the hookahs and everything, all the pipes going around. And uh, he said to me, you know, and my pastor at the time, I would become a Christian if I could see your society better as being better than a Muslim society. Isn't that interesting? He's looking for something better. It's a challenge for us. Okay. Let's not be exclusive. But I think if we want to reach uh, our culture today, we have to talk in a different way. Seriously, we need to apologise for being exclusive. I don't believe God is. Okay, short this. Uh, he also said to me then, "How can you follow a God who would kill His Son instead of killing other people?" Anybody want to answer that? How do you sit there with a smile on your face? looking for a stone to pick up, to throw right now. How do you follow someone who would rather kill their son than kill someone else? It's a caricature, isn't it? It's not true, is it? Is it true? Do you believe it's true? Of course not. It's not true. The son wasn't killed by the father. He's actually killed by us. <laughs> the father wanted it to happen but it was so that we could be set free from the fear of death. It wasn't the father doing something to the son. In fact, the son willingly gave his life in order to set us free. And so I was able to talk to him a little bit about the cross. Obviously, that's a huge subject to talk about on a game, around a game of golf. <laughs> but seriously, there are some ways we explain the cross which are just crass. 
And actually, I would rather we drop them altogether. I, I, the more I look into scriptures, the less I'm convinced about the arguments for penal substitution. Uh, you, you may disagree with me, that's okay. But I don't think that, that speaks to t- uh, 21st century culture. There are other ways of t- describing the cross which are much better. And the one which I find really compelling to people, or one which they really get, get is that God wants to show us that there's nothing to fear in death. So he allowed his son to be killed, tortured, blasphemed, you know, whatever, ridiculed, deserted, to experience all the worst things that could happen to show us that there's nothing to fear. That even if all those things happen, it's okay. God is still with us. He hasn't rejected us. And that is going to be all right in the end because Jesus rose from the dead. Nothing can can hurt you. That's what he wanted to do. Jesus wasn't protecting us in that way. God didn't need to take out his anger on someone. He needed the problem fixed. <sighs> you see, the thing is, as long as we fear death, we cannot truly follow Jesus. That's why he says to Peter the night before he gets arrested, where I'm going, you cannot come. Because Peter's saying, oh, I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. But he says, I, you cannot follow me, Peter, because you're too scared of death. You're bound up. I need to set you free. Later you will follow me, he says. Because he knew that death wasn't the end. He was able to lay down his life. So, okay. Too bloody. He also asked me, you know, this is a tough question. He said, how can you follow a God that commands genocide? Anybody want to answer that question? God, you guys are so quiet. What's the matter with you? (laughs) <laughs> Go on, Chris. Well done. <laughs> it doesn't command genocide. It absolutely doesn't. And in fact, if you read scripture, it's our idea. In Numbers 21, we say, oh, we'll kill these people, you know. And God says, oh, okay, whatever, you know. He allows it because he's a patient God waiting for us to grow up. If you can read that in Numbers 21, verses 1 to 3, if you don't believe me, that's the first time that this kind of thing is mentioned. It's our idea. As is so often the case, God listens to us and goes the way that we want to go. I loved watching the, the young toddler just wander out and the mother following her, him, him, sorry. Because that's like God with us. We go wandering off all over the place and God says, okay, if we must go there, we'll go there. We lead it all kinds of places that God wouldn't have necessarily led us to. Okay. I love that picture. Don't you love the James Webb telescope pictures that are coming through, looking back in time, billions of years? Another question he asked me is, how can you believe in a God who would punish people for not believing? A God that would say, believe in me, or I'm going to punish you. He doesn't say that, does it? Of course he doesn't say that. That's a caricature. But it's a caricature based on what we've told the world. Repent or perish. We just have to own it, guys. We've got to learn to explain things in a very different way. So he said, God doesn't say that. 
What God says is, if you really want to enter into life, follow me. Choose life. Don't choose death. There's life in following Jesus. You see, so often when we try and talk to people about faith, we make it about what happens when you die. Do you know where you're going to go when you die? That's a famous evangelistic strategy. You know, that's pie in the sky when you die. It's not steak on your plate while you wait. It's not what we should be talking about. What we need to talk about is why it's worth following Jesus now. Live in the here and now. Why follow Jesus is not because of what happens when I'm going to die. It's because it's the most wonderful way to live now. I experience the love of God. I experience the forgiveness of God. I experience complete freedom because I know there's a God in heaven who loves me and knows all the things I am, all the things I've done wrong, all the things I should have done and could have done and hadn't done or have done, and yet he still loves me. It's incredible. We have the best news, the very best news. We just need to communicate it better. It's about life now. I get to adventure with Jesus now. I get to enter into eternal life now. I get to commune with God now. I get to partner with him in bringing healing now. I get to partner with him in in doing good now. This is where all the choices are made now. Forget about what happened later. Let that take care of itself in a way. That's fantastic. But it's our main reason, our main argument should be about today. Okay. First, firstly, he said to me, how can you believe in a, the Bible when it's got so many contradictions in it? So many uh, discrepancies. That's a big question. That's far too big for a round of golf. <laughs> so, you know, he said, you know, even, even the gospel stories about Jesus are all different. Well, you know, you couldn't get all hoity-toity, all precious about the Bible and start saying how it's inerrant, how it's infallible, how, you know, honestly, that's just ridiculous. We need, we've got to stop trying to defend it in that way. <laughs> so I just, I just said to him, do you know what? For me, I'm really glad that all those stories are different. Because if they weren't, I, I would be convinced it would be a conspiracy. Somebody would have planned it. <laughs> but because they're all different, it's just, to me, eyewitness accounts. That's not a reason to disbelieve. It's a reason to believe it's true. And I said, so many of the other uh, things in the Bible where it says there's uh, contradictions, it's because actually there's a progressive revelation going on in Scripture. God is taking us on a long journey, revealing himself, revealing what life is about. And Jesus himself said that, didn't he? Let's be honest. In Matthew 19, when he's been talking to the uh, religious people about divorce, and they said, Jesus says, you can't get divorced. You know, let, let not people get divorced. And uh, they said, what about Moses? Moses gave us the laws in the Bible. <laughs> you can get divorced if you just write a certificate. And Jesus said, he only gave you those laws because of the hardness of your heart. So scripture was only given because of our hardness of our heart. What other scriptures were given because of the hardness of our heart? We don't know. We're not told. We have to figure it out. But there are some. I'm really worrying some people now. But it's just true. Jesus said it. Not me. Blame Jesus. Anyway. Okay. (coughs) 
he also says it's quite strange to, f- to do things just because you think someone's telling you to do them, an invisible force. <laughs> You've got to own your own actions. I had to agree with him on that one. I've seen many people do crazy things because they think God's telling them to do it. Uh, but I also said that if, if it is the voice of God, then it's the voice of the most loving, kind, compassionate, caring person you'd ever want to talk to. You can trust that advice and follow that advice, even if it seems a bit crazy. Even if they ask you to give up your IT career or go to Nepal or do whatever, you can trust that advice because it will be okay. And I told him stories of where I trusted that voice. He was a bit perplexed and said that was, they were just coincidences. <laughs> but, you know, that's okay. It's all part of the, you know, the fun we had when talking about these things. I just want to come in here because, briefly, I was listening to a podcast on Unbelievable on Premiere when Richard Dawkins was talking to Francis Collins about evolution. Uh, And uh, Dawkins took great delight in pointing out that if God made all of life, directing it through a slow process of evolution, something that could have happened on its own, then God made himself redundant. He said he chose the very mechanism which actually makes him superfluous. And he said... Why would you choose natural selection, which has the possibility, possible unfortunate prop- property that it could have come about without you? And the guy, the theistic uh, evolutionist, didn't answer that very well. You see, for me, it's, it's flipping obvious. Why would God use a process? I'm not saying he did, by the way, for those, because I know there's evolution is full of holes. There are serious scientific questions to be explained yet in that theory, which is why it's called a theory. But if it's true, why would God use a process like evolution to create life? Serious question. Is it possible? Why would God do it? Would God have a reason to to do it? (sighs) Okay. Yeah, for freedom. For me, it's clear as day. Absolutely as clear as day. God had to create everything in a way where it was possible for thinking people to believe that it happened by chance. Otherwise, they'd be forced to believe in the creator, forced to seek him out, forced into a relationship with him of some form or other. It's just obvious. But God loves freedom. It's massive, huge. And I had to tell that to my friend playing golf too. Okay, nearly there. Really, all I'm asking is for us to be apologetic. (laughs) To apologise for where we may have overstated things and maybe presented a bit of a caricature. And to be more inclusive, to be more life-affirming, to be more loving and to be more free, bring more freedom in what we say. Do you know what my friend Gavin said to me at the end of our talk? No, he didn't say that, unfortunately. Again and again throughout the talk, he said, Christians don't believe that. And I say, yeah, Gavin, uh, not all Christians do, but some of us do. (laughs) And I firmly believe that I'm telling you is is what the Bible teaches. So, you know, you just hope that that leads to him going away thinking about it. But at the end, all he said to me was, you only see things that way 
because you're so nice. <laughs> Honestly, that's a win, isn't it? Isn't that a win? I'll take that. I'm okay with that. It's a start, at least. He thinks I'm nice. And he remembers that I have a nice interpretation of the story that we live in. Maybe it's worth checking out. Maybe. My prayer, will you pray with me for Gavin? Lord Jesus, he's a good man. He's not a bad man. He just has honest questions and hasn't had good answers yet. Lord Jesus, give him good answers. Better ones than I can give him. Give him great answers. Surprise him. And at the end of the day, Lord, surprise him with an encounter with you, maybe. Because that's the thing that changes us forever. It's not all the arguing or the talking. But we can put people off with our talking. We can give them caricatures, which means they won't bother thinking. We don't want to do that, Lord Jesus. Help us to be lights in the darkness. To present you in such a way that people are forced to question again where they may have made up their minds. That's what we want to do. Amen? Okay. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you, Colin.